Okay, good morning everyone. We're convening now as the Marin County Flood Control and Water Conservation District Board. Um, good morning, Tracy and Berenice. We'll start with public open time uh, for items not on the agenda today. Is there anyone who wants to address the board? I'm not seeing anyone on the chambers. And is there we anyone? do have one speaker online. The first speaker is Clinton Smith. Rumor has it that uh, we're going to have a El Nino this year. And um, of course that brings with it the good fortune of additional water supplies to the county, but also the potential for again, a, a year with some flooding that's going on, it could be severe. And um, I would like to request uh, that um, public works pay attention to Manzanita and particularly to the um, sluice that runs along the uh, and is adjacent to the Caltrans lot that um, is there supposedly to evacuate the accumulation of water that comes along with these floods, um, particularly when there's a, a high tide. So I wish that you'd um, actually ask uh, public works to come and uh, do their best to clean it out and make sure that it's uh, available to do what it's supposed to do. Thanks. Kristen Mullen-Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll bring it back now uh, and uh, acknowledge the public comment we heard. We'll move now to 10B, approval of the minutes of April 18th and August 15th. Are there any changes anyone would like to make? I'm not seeing anyone. Could I get a motion and a second to approve them? I'll move. Okay. Uh, is there any public comment on this item? Seeing any in the chambers? There are no speakers in the queue. Thank you, Al. Okay, we had a motion by Rice, a second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. 10C, Board of Supervisors matters. Anything to report? The only thing I will report is on 10, uh, October 28th at the uh, fire station in Tam Valley, we will have a preparedness fair, including information from our flood district on preparing for flooding this winter. So come on down to the fire station on Saturday the 28th. We'll move now to the district manager's report. Good morning. Preparation work is done. We replaced, we refurbished eight pumps. They were pulled and they are now back in the stations and operating at full force. And we have done all of the high priority stream maintenance work. We have, um, the last thing that we do as part of our stream maintenance program is our invasive species removal. That's part of our permit requirements. And we also wait till the very last minute to pull the cattails because they grow back so quickly. But those are the only things that we have remaining to do for our uh, winter prep. And um, there is one um, advisory board meeting scheduled for the rest of the year. It's uh, uh, flood zone one. 
in Novato, and that will be October the 26th at 6.30 at the Womack Room in the City of Novato Admin Building. And that's all I have to report. Questions at all? Dennis, I see your microphone on. No, I'm good, thank you. Okay, anything here? Tracy, thank you very much. Is there any public comment on the district manager's report or the Board of Supes? Okay, I'm not seeing any. Tracy, I will ask you, that sluice that um, gets mentioned down there in Tam Valley, is that part of the work you do or is that owned by some other agency? The, the Manzanita, um, there's a tide gate that's on Caltrans property and that needs to be replaced uh, in order to prevent that flooding at, at Manzanita. And so there's nothing that we can do until Cal Caltrans replaces that tide gate. Mm -hmm. Without that, more info. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Okay, we'll move now to 10E, and this is up. Here we go. Good morning. Excuse me. Good. Good morning, my name is Berenice Davidson. I'm Assistant Director of Public Works and I'm happy to introduce this presentation that Rob Carson is doing in front of you. Um, we got invited to come back to your board and do this overview of this program. And um, before I turn it over to Rob, I'd like to introduce the team. Uh, Rob Carson is the head of that uh, program and I just wanna remind you that this program plays two roles. We have the responsibility of uh, meeting all the ma mandates to the county unincorporated areas, as well as um, staffing the Joint Powers Board where all of the local jurisdictions are a member of, and we also assist in the compliance of all the stormwater regulations. And with Rob as the program manager, it's uh, staff, uh, Liza Dufresne, could you, uh, Liza and, um, Howard Bonds and Scott Weinstock, and not with us at this meeting is Will Stockard. So I just wanted you to introduce the team before turning it over to Rob. Thank you. Well, I'm glad I'm glad they're here um, because they're the ones that did most of the work that I'm going to update you on. So <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I don't have a copy of the agenda, but is the first item actually the budget item, or is it my update? It's okay. the budget. So thank you. Um, so uh, this item is really uh, bookkeeping bookkeeping exercise to have a project that was uh, created a couple of fiscal years ago. It's been an ongoing project to roll over to the current fiscal year. Um, this actually is subject of something I'll mention later in my presentation, but it, it's to provide 35% designs for a number of trash capture projects across the, yeah, across eight municipalities here in Marin, so. <coughs> uh, questions from the board? Not seeing any, not seeing any to the right, okay. Uh, any public comment on this item to approve funding for trash capture design? I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers. There are no speakers in the queue. I will move approval of this item. Second. Okay, motion by Rice, second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Very good, now we're on 10F, now it's the presentation. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, thank you. Uh, President Moulton Peters and Board of Supervisors. As Bettinisa said, I'm Rob Carson. I'm the Program Manager for the Marin Countywide Stormwater Pollution Prevention Program. And next slide, please. I'm here to provide an update um, on Mixstop, the Countywide Stormwater Program. Similar to waste management, as she said, each, each municipality has a local uh, staff implementing a, a stormwater program as well. 
Uh, I'll be running over um, next stop, the basics of stormwater regulations, some regulatory changes that are anticipated with the new permit, and I'll go into some specifics there, and then priority actions that we're involved in right now. Um, you'll see I'll use the phrase uh, TMDL a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> stormwater is an acronym-filled uh, sector, but that stands for a total maximum daily load. It's basically a regulatory tool when the EPA or the Water Board identifies a specific pollutant in a specific watershed and says, here's a set of actions that need to be implemented to control that. They call that a TMDL. I'll say it a lot, so I apologize for the acronyms. Next slide, please. So a little bit of regulatory context. The US EPA, through the Clean Water Act in 1972, has a essentially permitting authority over sources of pollutants into waterways. Uh, they, they name that program the National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System. And in California, that authority is actually delegated to the State Water Resources Control Board, who issues permits for the three main sectors, um, indus industry, large construction projects, and then municipal stormwater discharges. So the 12 municipalities here in Marin, including the county, are required to get coverage under that phase two general permit. And we support the local municipal programs through coordinated actions, guidance, and efficiencies really that can be realized by doing something once instead of 12 times. So next slide, please. So Mixtop generally takes a watershed and creek-focused approach to implementing regulations, focused on outcomes wherever possible to engage the public in outcomes, outreach and education that aligns the, the public actions with water quality. So we try to provide coordinated, consistent, and cost-effective services to protect water quality and comply with the permit. Next slide, please. In general, all of the work that's done through Mixstop and the local stormwater programs aims to minimize environmental impacts from pollutant discharges, from construction sites, from municipal operations, from development projects. Next slide and from specific pollutants in specific watersheds. So in Marin, we have a number of um, TMDLs in place for pathogens. It's Tamales and Richardson Bay, as well as the Petaluma River. For sediment, it's Lagunitas Creek. Um, for trash, it's everywhere, unfortunately. <laughs> Pesticides, it's all the urban drainages draining to San Francisco and San Pablo Bays. And that's <coughs> true for mercury and PCBs as well. Rob, can you define pathogens? Just I apologize, yeah. So pathogens are a name for bacteria or some sort of pathogenic source that's in the water. What we use are fecal indicator bacteria to do measurements as a proxy for the things that actually make people sick in the water. So we use E. coli or fecal indicator bacteria, which aren't necessarily pathogenic themselves, but they tend to track with pathogens in the water. Yeah. Next slide, please. So some of the fun stuff we get to do is public engagement and education. So we work closely with STRAW, Students and Teachers Restoring a Watershed, which is a project of Point Blue, to provide elementary and middle school students with watershed education <coughs> and hands-on restoration opportunities. Next slide, please. We're an active sponsor of the Our Water, Our World program, which promotes less toxic pest control through in-store education and direct engagement. Um, this program is now statewide. But it was started here in the Bay Area, and McStop was one of a handful of founding members. Um, this program really supports the forward-thinking integrated pest management policy that, that your board put forward and uh, that's implemented by the Parks Department here at the county. Next slide, please. We also work with local agencies, nonprofits, citizen groups, businesses, and individuals through Clean Marin to reduce litter through source control, 
public awareness, coordinated agency actions, and volunteer cleanups. Next slide. McStop just joined the award-winning Streets to Creeks public engagement program that was developed initially by the city of Santa Rosa, expanded to the full Russian River watershed first, and now to Marin and Sonoma counties. The program increases public awareness of the need to protect stormwater from pollution and the simple everyday actions that they could do to help. So some of the components of this program are kind of neat. They allow for the public to request neighborhood level digital outreach campaigns that are specific to pollutants. So if we, and we can also request those. So if we see something happening in the neighborhood, we can send out digital ads to that whole general area about that issue to make people more aware of that type of thing. Next slide. So over time, oh, so the next slides are really focused on the changes to the regulatory environment here in Marin. Um, next, oh no, stay here, sorry. Over time, um, we've changed a lot. So we developed and implemented a baseline stormwater program from 1993 through about 2003. And then the first statewide stormwater permit um, was issued in 2003. In 2013, the second stormwater permit was issued statewide, which changed the focus from kind of lo local issue-oriented stormwater management to a much more prescriptive program that was dictated by the state that they said, go do these things and, and they should all help. Um, and so, next slide please. We are actively in um, the reissuance process. It's actually been going on and off since uh, before COVID. Um, we have reviewed numerous drafts. I think it says three here. I think there's actually been more than that at this point. Um, drafts of the permit sections. We've coordinated with regulated communities statewide, provided comments to the state. Um, we are anticipating a new informal draft permit sometime this month, although the state has pulled back on the promise of when. Um, and then there will be a public comment draft issued in 2024. All of this to say, the most likely effective date for the next phase two stormwater permit will be July 1st, 2025. That will sort of kickstart a number of regulations that fall into place. The unfortunate thing about that regulatory issuance delay is that there are some things that have deadlines in 2030, and I'll get to those in a little bit. Um, we could have had more time to work on them if we knew what the regulatory structure was going to be, but now we have a much more compressed time frame, so that has impacts. So next slide, please. Some of the major new regulatory changes that are anticipated is a major expansion of commercial facility inspections for stormwater issues. Um, and we can talk more about unfunded mandates at a later date, but that is uh, one to flag because that is not part of the phase two federal regulations. Uh, we'll also have an expansion in water quality programs. Uh, next slide, please. One major new section in the permit will be um, stormwater asset management program requirement. We'll be required to inventory, map, and do condition assessment of the public storm drain assets, the type, the age, the replacement cost, all of which is leading towards an asset planning, repair, replacement schedule, cost, funding source, and that sort of thing. Um, what the Water Board is trying to do is push municipalities in the same direction that sanitary agencies have been pushed to know their systems, to have a plan to replace them over time, we, of course, don't have rate payers like the way sanitary districts do, so the challenges are considerably higher. We're trying to help the state understand the position at which we're starting and trying to lay out a framework that actually is achievable. So um, next slide, please. 
Uh, in addition to that, there is a new section in the permit that will require cost reporting. So there, the state is trying to quantify the cost of stormwater permit implementation by categories. Um, we are pushing for a, a, a sort of phase two version of that cost reporting. The phase one version is really quite robust and not trackable in our current accounting system. And so we're, we're really trying to find something that's reasonable given the, the size of small municipalities in the state, something appropriate. Next slide, please. And here's really the meat of it. So again, this is the TMDL section um, and, the, and the new TMDL or pollutant specific programs imp impacting Marin include, as I mentioned before, PCBs and mercury affecting all of the mixed op agencies, um, trash amendments affecting all the mixed op agencies, the new Petaluma River pathogen TMDL mainly impacting the county and Novato, and then uh, a sediment TMDL that's actually been issued and in place for Lagunitas Creek for a while and for which the local county program we believe has actually met all of the compliance targets, um, but that will be new in our permit, so we'll need to, to re-enter that conversation with the regional board at that time. Next slide, please. Okay, so some of these deadlines are within seven years. Um, that is really daunting considering that we don't even have final permit language um, to lay out the, the targets. So um, as I said, the next informal draft of the permit uh, will include a lot of information for some of those pieces, but we have been told by the San Francisco Water Board that they will not be including the new TMDL language in the next informal draft because they're requesting more information from us before they issue that language. Uh, so that, again, it's compressing the timeline even more, which is um, frustrating for us and uh, <coughs> I'm sure for you as well. Next slide, please. So I, I did want to take a step and talk a little bit about the local implications of all of this, because I'm talking here from the county-wide perspective and, um, and, and it's true that at McStop some of the costs will go up, but really a lot of the retrofit requirements, the construction requirements, the changes to the storm drain system need to be happening at the local level and driven at that level. So <coughs> in the short term, in the next three to five years, capital investments in design and construction of stormwater treatment facilities in local jurisdictions um, are going to be important. And then long term, the maintenance costs of all of these new facilities buried in the ground or sitting on the surface are, are going to be substantial. And they'll require additional staff, contractors, potentially equipment in roads and parks groups uh, countywide. Uh, next slide, please. So I'm going to talk a bit about specific detailed information on those TMDL programs in the next few slides. Uh, next slide, please. So <clears throat> to take half a step back, you know, in the last couple of decades, stormwater really has taken kind of a paradigm shift from the collect and convey model where we're trying to speed this water as quick as we can, get it to the creek so it's not causing damage. Um, you know, it was a flood control focus. It had some negative implications in that it sped pollutants to the creek. It led to concentrated flows in the creek that led to down cutting and some habitat degradation. So really over time, what's been recognized is that a new paradigm is where we're moving towards. Next slide, please. So instead of this collect and convey, we're really moving towards slow it, spread it, sink it. Try to capture and store, infiltrate stormwater on a local basis um, through landscape treatment. It slows peak flows, at least for some small storms. It reduces pollutants significantly, <coughs> and it can improve the environment both in the urban environment and in the creeks. Next slide, please. So <coughs> what will be part of the new, oops, sorry, jumped forward one. Can you 
Did I? Maybe I jumped forward. There we go. Thank you. All right. Um, so there will be mandated targets in the next permit for greened acres every five years. So basically putting in stormwater treatment to treat runoff from our public system and our roads um, into these, these things. They'll give us credit towards the PCB and mercury TMDLs. Uh, currently what we're doing at the countywide level and at the local level with Liza's work is uh, trying to identify GI retrofit opportunities at municipal facilities on municipally maintained roads and then also working with land development permitting um, private projects that come through new and redevelopment to try to encourage as much LID green infrastructure as possible. Next slide. So in terms of the PCB TMDL, just a little background. This is a legacy contamination issue. This is from industrial applications. There are still some out in electrical transformers in the environment. They're in old transportation infrastructure, expansion joints and bridges and overpasses, um, building materials like caulking and sealants and paints, in interior lighting ballasts and all, all kinds of sort of hidden sources that we found. Um, in general, it's land use based, old industrial, old transportation areas. And the state is looking for a 90% reduction in, the, in the, the modeled volumes. Next slide. The mercury TMDL, which is often treated sort of as a second cousin to the PCB TMDL, is a little bit different. Um, the sources here are really atmospheric deposition from coal-fired power plants worldwide. So the, the deposition is really ubiquitous across the landscape. There are some point sources coming from old mercury mines from the gold rush era or from crematoriums, um, which the mercury fillings ended up having this sort of unintended consequence of deposition of mercury in the environment. So again, here we're looking at a 50% reduction in the modeled loads. Next slide. This map is a, an example of some of the preliminary work that McStop has done to identify the areas of interest around PCBs here in Marin. So there are some source areas that have been identified. That overly large circle is NOS field, and we'll be trying to shrink that circle as much as we can. Um, and then there are a number of other facilities like PG, the four or five PG&E substations countywide, um, some old railroad properties. You can see most of the smart tracks, um, et cetera, are on this uh, area for us to sort of investigate further. Unfortunate in Marin, we have a lot of old commercial and old transportation. So that's all that yellow and orange area. Um, and we'll be working on ways to kind of communicate the uh, relative risk of those areas over time. Next slide. So the mercury and PCB control programs are going to require a number of things. One is a green stormwater infrastructure plan by all the municipalities. They'll be looking at minimum retrofit opportunities <coughs> per five years. Um, McStop can certainly help with that, but those plans need to be adopted by the local governing boards and they need to be implemented. Um, some of the large full trash capture devices that we're planning will actually capture sediment as well and receive some TMDL credit. The historic land use research that I showed, that map as a result, uh, we're actively working on now, as well as to identify source properties. And then in addition, a program in the larger counties in the Bay Area has been developed to manage PCB waste in building demolition of certain buildings, non-timber-framed buildings built or substantially remodeled between 1950 and 1980. Uh, there's a higher likelihood that PCBs are somewhere in the building materials in those buildings. Next slide, please. 
So uh, in addition, we may be required to do enhanced street sweeping or storm drain cleaning around source properties as they're identified. And then mercury collection and recycling programs and fish consumption advisories, which are both existing regional and local programs that would be mandated to be, we would participate in. Um, and in addition, we would use water quality monitoring to identify source areas and, and really target our efforts where we have problems. So um, the, the PCB source area identification right now is a very rough screening tool, and we're confident that, that a number of these areas um, have little to no PCB contamination historically and can be removed from the map over time. But the green infrastructure building helps do that uh, automatically. So uh, next slide. Uh, I've talked a lot about green infrastructure, low impact, low impact development. What do I mean? This is just five examples. I could have 25 more. It can take lots of different forms, um, from bulb outs on the curb to rain gardens, rain water capture. Basically, anything that retains water on site, infiltrates it, or holds it for future use is an example of this. So next slide. This is really a multi-benefit approach to stormwater management looking at water quality, urban greening, water collection. Next slide. It can be integrated into urban planning with accessibility and multimodal transportation. Um, urban greening, as I mentioned, reducing heat island effects. Some of the challenges with green infrastructure as a solution, particularly on streets, is that there's a higher cost per acre of treatment and a higher likelihood of utility conflicts. So wherever we can, we are looking for larger scale or regional green infrastructure opportunities. Um, the, one of the issues in Marin is a lot of our creeks are still above ground and in relatively good condition. And so there are fewer opportunities to do large regional projects because the stormwater is making it to the creek relatively quickly in a number of places. So it does add an additional challenge. I'm gonna shift gears, next slide now, um, to the statewide trash amendments. Um, they require capture of trash or prevention of trash larger than five millimeters from discharging from our storm drain system from commercial, industrial, high density residential, and transit stops um, by December 2030. We have a number of ways to do that, and I'll run through those on the next slides. Next slide. One of which are small devices. These are all kind of inlet-based devices at the catch basin scale or at the, the slot opening on the street all of which are meant to capture trash locally to be pulled out. Um, they all have five millimeter mesh screens or nets in some way. They come in lots of different forms, but they all function roughly the same. Um, in terms of cost benefit, they have a very low capital cost. <clears throat> Unfortunately, as you can see, they'll require a lot of maintenance. Uh, so at leaf drop, these things fill up rather, rather quickly. We've had a couple in the ground for a couple of years that we've been watching, and right around the fall, um, they get filled up pretty quick with leaves and other things, and so regular maintenance really is required on these small devices, which drives the ultimate cost up uh, over time. Uh, but there are 90-plus of these going in countywide in the next couple of months. They're being put in as part of a federal grant um, in almost every municipality that's part of McStop. One opted out. Um, but this is a way for us to see how these things function test it on a smaller scale before these things have to go in on a much wider scale. Next slide, please. <coughs> Where we can, we are trying to identify opportunities for large devices. So these things have to go in in watersheds roughly 10 acres or more. Uh, so again, we have a lot of short storm drain runs here in Marin, but there are still a number of opportunities. Um, the county has identified quite a few. 
Um, San Rafael has quite a few, uh, so we're working through those options with them. They come in lots of different forms, um, from boxes buried underground that separate through you know, hydrodynamics or um, louvered screens of various types, or the, I'd say the, the most basic of them all is a net on the end of the pipe, um, which can be then replaced as needed. Again, high capital cost with these, but a relatively lower maintenance cost, because they may require maintenance one to two times a year rather than you know, at least four to six. Next slide. One other option is all this green infrastructure I've been talking about can be built in such a way that it functions as trash capture. So it's really just about a five millimeter mesh screen on the overflow and some, some calculations in the sizing. Next slide. And last but not least, the institutional controls. All these partial capture methods that we do, whether it's sweeping, waste management, public education, single use product bans, uh, volunteer cleanups and events, all of those can be a really important um, means of keeping the streets looking clean and reducing the maintenance costs for those devices we stick underground. Next slide, please. In general, Marin countywide, including the unincorporated county, has just over 3,800 acres of priority land use that requires some sort of treatment. Um, so and that includes about 601 transit stops. Um, McStop has rated all of those priority land use areas, giving it a grade of one, one to four, basically low, moderate, high, or very high in terms of the trash generation rates. Next slide. And we've been trying to run essentially cost-benefit options, large versus small devices versus institutional controls based on the trash load in the environment and the amount of, um, uh, and, the, and the opportunities and feasibility of different devices. As I said, we have small devices in now and more coming in, so we're testing the performance and maintenance of those. And we're dealing with the technical challenges from tidal conditions to utility conflicts to the lack of storm drain infrastructure in some places to property ownership um, in many places. Those central places where the storm drains cross and connect aren't always in the public right of way, so that can be a challenge. Next slide. Shifting gears just to talk about current program priorities, we are Permit reissuance is, the, is at the top of our plate right now. We have essentially this opportunity to influence what the regulations say. I'm lucky to be part of a six-person team that's negotiating directly with the State Water Board on these um, to greater or lesser effect sometimes, but we're there at the table. Uh, we're continuing to coordinate with the San Francisco Water Board on the, on the TMDL language for the, on the regional perspective, what, what that will look like. Uh, we finalized a feasibility study of 15 sites countywide um, for large bulk trash capture devices, and we're going to start another one uh, this fiscal year with maybe 10 plus sites. Next slide. And um, I'm actually going to address these by flip-flopping the bullets. The last one is that the, the large bulk trash capture project designs, the project of which you just uh, approved rolling over the funds, we will deliver 35% designs to the eight municipalities uh, in November, at which time um, those, those municipalities will finalize designs and construction of those projects over the coming years. Um, the good news is that part of that, jumping back to the first bullet, we have some grant money and some funding opportunities to help. So we currently have a, a grant from the US EPA that we got in 2019 that's helping to install those small devices now. It's also helping to work on designs for some large devices 
and possibly construction if we can get there. Um, in addition, we hope to be returning to your board next month to accept a, over a $4 million grant from the US EPA to provide designs for 17 uh, stormwater <coughs> treatment facilities countywide, um, as well as to pay for uh, stormwater maintenance, uh, a facility to deal with the, the waste generated from the, the maintenance of these devices. Accompanying that would be a cooperative agreement from Caltrans in the amount of $21 million for construction of projects that treat runoff from their right-of-way. So, um, so we've been working with our you know, member agencies to identify projects that can be built in their local jurisdiction that provide treatment to Caltrans. They're obviously, because they're under a cease and desist order from the San Francisco Water Board regarding trash, they are um, very encouraged to find local partners to f actively fund projects going into the ground. So, um, so that is part of that cooperative agreement we're hoping to bring back to you next month. We're just finalizing, got the last finalized language uh, from Caltrans a bit ago. Um, and so, next slide please. We'll continue to advocate for clear and attainable regulatory language with the state, aligned with our desired outcomes, and we'll try to identify unfunded state mandates along the way. So there are a number of things that are being proposed in this phase two permit which are not included in the federal phase two legislation. So commercial inspections um, is, is one massive one. Asset management is arguably another one. Um, and there are some others. So we'll, we'll contemplate whether that's worth our time pursuing at, at, when we have the actual language in hand. Um, and then of course we're gonna be working to prepare the local jurisdictions for all of these programmatic changes. What do they need to do? What can we do for them? What options can make stop, you know, what pieces of this new puzzle can we take on for them and help? Next slide. So we'll try to continue to identify funding and partnership opportunities to assist with the design, permitting, and construction of these projects. We've been very fortunate that the EPA San Francisco Water Quality Improvement Fund has received some massive influxes of funds over the last several years. Normally that pot of money is $5 million a year. I believe this year it was $65 million. Um, so that's part of the reason we got four for some of the trash design work. Um, so we, we expect some of that will continue in the short term, but uh, we'll continue to work with Caltrans that has future rounds of funding coming available for other work. But I should make this point. Projects included in the feasibility and design so far have included Caltrans right-of-way um, so that we could secure some of that construction money to get this ball rolling. Um, in some cases, this has been low-hanging fruit. As the larger counties in the Bay Area have found as they've gotten to 70 and 90% full trash capture, is that last 10 to 30% is really hard. Um, and so I just wanna prepare you all for the requests that are coming from the local level, uh, the need to, to support this work in advance to, to secure outside funding, and also just anticipating the need to, to have to do some of these projects all by yourselves. So, um, next slide. This is really much of the same thing. Local investments, unlock outside funding, meet regulatory mandates, demonstrate progress to the water board that you're meeting these. In my opinion, some of these deadlines, including the trash, are not attainable. But the only way we can make a solid argument for an extension is if we're making progress and demonstrating that we're doing everything we can do. So that's my message here. And of course, we're gonna continue to try to inform the Public Works Association, 
the MGSA, the Marin managers, this board of supervisors, um, anything we can to help inform and provide recommendations to, to help you lead our communities and protect clean water. So that's all I have. Next slide. Happy to answer any questions you might that's have. That's all you have? <laughs> <laughs> that was a very thorough presentation. Thank you for that. Thank Surely, you, Rob. I appreciate it. Okay, questions. We'll go right down the line, starting with Mary. I have a, um, thank you, Rob, and your yep. team. That, there was a lot in there. Um, really appreciate all the work that you're doing, and I'm glad you're at this table with the Regional Water Board to make these as good, make the regulations as good as they can be. So uh, first, on the, the stormwater mapping, asset management mapping, is yep. that intended to be a map of only public um, pipes, et cetera, and, or are we looking at private at the same time? So um, it will be the public system. We will be advocating strongly for that distinction. However, if you've ever looked at a storm drain map, You'll notice sometimes our pipes go from the public road up here to the public road down there through private property. So we are, um, in some cases, um, guessing that that pipe is just solid straight through. In some cases, we actually have detail, but we are required to map the public infrastructure, or will be required to map the public infrastructure. I guess just you know thinking out loud is how do we then take that information and wrap that into our storm drain programs that we know don't intersect both public and private storm drains down the line. Um, and then on the green infrastructure, um, is there discussion about the long-term maintenance costs of green infrastructure? There's a great deal of discussion, Supervisor, yes. <laughs> um, these devices have been mandated both in Southern California and in the Bay Area for over 10 years, and, and in some cases they've been going in um, pretty extensively, the, those costs are very real. Uh, and they're very different than the traditional maintenance of the storm drain system was. Um, there are certainly efforts to um, come up with plant pallets that require very little maintenance. Um, however, these things, particularly if they're being used to capture trash, right, uh, are gonna require maintenance to remove that stuff. Uh, there is some discussion there's not a lot of sympathy from the regulatory perspective on that point um, because of the nature of stormwater pollutants is while we're dealing right now with these legacy pollutants of PCBs and mercury, um, what they're finding is all of these contaminants of emerging concern, PFAS and other CECs are, are coming down the pike and, and really the, the control systems in general mimic a lot of this ubiquitous landscape deposition <coughs> where green infrastructure is a solution. Uh, so I don't see that as a treatment option being taken off the table. Uh, I will say that that's one of the reasons why regional green infrastructure projects, larger capture projects like a, a large park that's able to integrate GI from a much larger watershed are desirable. Um, they're, they obviously much higher bang for the buck per acre treatment costs and construction costs and design costs, but also maintenance in the long run. And so I guess tying those two questions together as green infrastructure, whether it's you know a yeah. curb out that we're planting, um, will that be mapped public-private? Because I think we do see places across the county where there's sort of who's responsible for this median, yeah. who needs to do the tree work, you know, 
neighbors don't like the plantings, whatever that right. is, that turn into part of the problem is just figuring out who is in on first yeah. to deal with that. The vision is to have all of that mapped in our GIS systems and to make those distinctions and add all the maintenance uh, agreements onto the appropriate medians and the appropriate green infrastructure. That is the vision. We're in conversations with the construction industry to give us those um, data points so that we can just add them to our GIS systems. We do have an investment in public works with our data <laughs> architecture uh, manager to help us do it all. So it's a slow process. And, and also we touch into the legal requirements and legal issues with dealing with private property information. So we are engaging our legal team. But yes, the overall vision is to have it all one-stop shop in our GIS to have all the information there. Right. Actually, currently is. So we're, we're required to track public and private new and redevelopment projects that trigger a certain threshold and put GI in. All of that is currently integrated into a GIS system for regular inspections. With the long-term maintenance agreement as part of it. Yes. Yep. And then is there a stormwater capture device going in as part of the Veterans Memorial project? Ask that. Um, there <laughs> are lots of stormwater treatment devices and, and BMPs, as we call them, best management practice being integrated into the VMA. So in addition to the pervious pavement um, that Caltrans is helping to support, there's also quite a number of bioretention facilities throughout the facility that, that should function as full trash capture as well. Um, that's actually a pretty exciting project in terms of stormwater treatment. Um, yeah. Great. Excited to see how that all comes together, and hopefully we can share that mm -hmm. as you know, uh, share that work so that people. I, I think all of this is great information. Sometimes it's hard to make it tangible. It is, and actually, Liza and I have been talking about signage, sort of a, a unified signage for these facilities countywide. So when people see it, they know what it is, or they begin to know what it is. We have the opportunity to educate them on that. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Really <clears throat> appreciate the update. I do think that some sort of a demonstration with the Marin Center would be great to have uh, some samples there and examples of what other jurisdictions might want to do. And just for the general public to start to understand a lot of this, I think is important. But um, kind of talked a lot about, a little bit and a lot about unfunded, unfunded mandates. And I just wonder if anyone's ever looked at the magnitude of what we're talking about, because I've not heard any sort of in the next 10 years, we need to fund X dollars or something for for these projects. And I think I'm more worried about the cities than, than I'm worried about the county, but I'm also worried about the jurisdictions that sort of have to follow up. So I'm wondering if you could just comment on that. Yeah, I, I genuinely share your concern, particularly with, the, with some of the cities and towns that are members. Um, I, I think the burden is going to be quite high. I, we are planning to do an economic analysis of what will be required, but doing that on the first, second, third, fifth, sixth iteration of the permit. I want to wait until okay. they give me the next one. I feel like it'll be more baked. Mm -hmm. It'll be the one right before the public draft. So I think there will be you know, limited changes between those two versions, and it becomes much more possible to provide that level of detail. Um, so that is one thing. Um, the unfunded mandate question is an interesting one. There are, th I, I actually talked with someone last month who told me that no phase two community statewide filed an unfunded mandate claim under the previous permit. 
which was surprising because there was a lot of discussion about doing so about a number of provisions. Nobody ever did, um, which means whenever there's an unfunded mandate finding, it applies to every permittee under that permit. So we kind of need someone <laughs> to make an unfunded mandate claim somewhere statewide under, this, under the phase two permit because there are a number of issues in there that I think are substantial. Uh, the unfortunate piece is that the unfunded mandate commission I believe is meeting next week to consider a claim from Southern California from 2009. So you can understand, right? And in the meantime, you can't stop doing the thing that you said was unfunded. So at the end of the day, there may be some relief, but it's a long way down the road. And so whoever makes that claim needs to do that with eyes wide open about what that means. Then Rob, on your tr uh, slide that showed regulatory changes, you didn't mention Tomales Bay. So does that mean that there's no changes coming to Tomales Bay or? There are no changes. There, there's an existing pathogen TMDL. There's an existing mercury TMDL that has been more or less closed out, although we're still keep an eye on that. Um, so no, not no substantial changes aside from those that impact the rest of the permit. So we would be doing the same asset management study there as, as anywhere else. And did Caltrans funding you referenced in your report, is some of that being used on the Marin Center? parking lot or is that a different? It is. Well, no, sorry, it's not. That's a separate pot of money. And in fact, Berenice may have a couple things to say after I finish. But no, that, that $21 million is specifically towards trash capture and compliance with their, their mandated trash capture. They also have a separate need of mitigation for the Marin Sonoma Narrows project. The funding that came to the VMA for the pervious pavement was part of that pot. And okay. there's more available. Um, and there's more of a need that they have unmet so far. Thank you. Yeah, Rob, thank you. And, and to your entire team, and it's a lot there. There's a lot of content. And you even just added more with your responses to these questions. Like, I had no idea there was an unfunded mandate commission. Um, or that Caltrans was under a cease and desist order. I don't know why I wasn't aware of that. Been in place for quite a while now. Yeah. Just doesn't get talked about, I guess, much. Um, <laughs> Obviously, um, you have some job security uh, going <laughs> forward. <laughs> I guess um, what I'm thinking about, though, is um, is the the why, you know, uh, of the um, of the regulation. And yeah, obviously, the the bar is high in terms of what's being what we're being asked to do, even if the details aren't there. And uh, there's not money attached to making that happen, but there is a why, and it has both to do with public health as well as environmental health. And you know, the focus, of course, historically was more on those sort of legacy pollutants, and now different pollutants, um, more newly generated or generated over time, are being identified. So, I guess uh, my question is, you know, the ultimate goal um, in terms of reaching reaching the the requirements and getting in compliance what is the identified positive impact impact that will have benefit on public and environmental health and why this is actually important though we have to make it workable yeah no it's a great point we can get lost in the details in the regulatory labyrinth um, and really at the end of the day this is about protecting the clean water in our creeks and in the bay to make them swimmable make them fishable, make it able, you can eat shellfish out of these bays, all right? That, so that is really the purpose of these water quality regulations. And 
Um, and I would say sometimes it's hard to see because a lot of these things you can't see. Um, trash is an unfortunately perfect pollutant from my team's perspective because everybody can see it, everybody hates it, and we, when you do something right, it's not there anymore. So um, that to me is a great education tool about the larger question about why we're doing all of these things, right? Which is, well, this is a pollutant you can see, but we're trying to do it for all those things you can't see either, and it should lead to better health outcomes. Now, at the end of the day, I recognize I'm at the bottom of a huge mountain, um, and really what I need is true source control on all of these things so that the mountain is a lot smaller and I can jump over it rather than take a team of Sherpas up the top of it. So I, I think that at, at the end of the day, we're very supportive of any effort that gets towards true source control and try to lean on that as much as possible, particularly when we look at trash. There's very little that I see that we're gonna be able to do stopping all of this trash at the end of the pipe. Um, the single-use product plant bans, the plastic bans, like those things will make a difference. The plastic bag ban did make a difference until they suddenly could have thicker ones and then they're back. But you know, th these things do work over time, so I hope. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for the presentation. I just, uh, so many questions, I'll limit to just one um, on these large full trash capture devices. I'm curious, in an ideal world, where, where are you placing these systems? Is it more towards the end of the line? Is it somewhere midline? And where, where's a good spot to put them? And um, I also look at one of these pictures, you talked about education. You know, if there's ways to place these where it, it can be visible or ways to show the public how much trash is being collected by one of these uh, or, or visible for school field trips, things like that. I think there is a, a public education component to one of these. So maybe just mm -hmm. talk about these devices a little yes. more. Thank you, Supervisor. I'm glad you made both of those points. Um, yes, in general, because we're trying to treat commercial and industrial areas, um, we're, we're low in the watershed, particularly when you look at Marin. We're looking at the bay margin in a lot of places. Um, the other question is, well, we want to do this efficiently, so we're looking for large watersheds. So typically, the first place we look is pump station because stormwater pump stations are aggregating a lot of water from a bunch of different areas and pumping it out. So in the places where that's feasible, that's great. Um, so, and in some places they're underground, in other places like a project that's being contemplated in Novato, it would be above ground, quite visible for the public as well as from the smart track. Uh, I think the education opportunities are huge and we've already been talking about that same thing, signage at these trash devices. What is this net I'm looking at? Why is it full of trash? Right? All of these things, I think, really help drive the point home about what, what we're trying to do and um, why. Yeah, no, that's good. I, and even you know, locating one of these at a spot that might be a little more expensive to make it visible, there's the education aspect and maybe grant funding that, that makes that a little more palatable. Thank there you. there will be plenty that are visible, I think. Thank yeah. you. All right, <laughs> thank you. Um, I have a few questions, but I wanted to say something to Supervisor Rice. You know, the NPDES program started decades mm -hmm. ago with large point source, so yeah, this is down to the, the last little nub. Um, Rob, great presentation, and also I really appreciate how your group is working with the municipalities and everybody to provide this kind of umbrella framework of support, as well as addressing our own facilities. It's a great combination. Um, just a few quick questions. So it sounds like you're you're in at the table working on the new permit language, which is great. And you mentioned the difficulty in meeting the 2030 implementation deadlines. Do you also have a sense that you'll be able to give input to extending those deadlines to make them more realistic? 
Yes, I do. Uh, I think there's a couple pieces to that. One is that the, at least the TMDLs for San Francisco Bay for mercury and PCBs, um, the San Francisco Water Board staff have long acknowledged that they're not going to meet the 2028 deadline. Um, that this is more like, and some of the, some of the um, uh, reasonable assurance analyses that the other counties have done to say we are here's when we're going to get there are looking more like 2040 and 2080. So I think informing the regulators of, of like progress so far, the speed with which things are happening, the likelihood with which we can fund this, you know, whole whole hog, um, I think lays the groundwork for those conversations. I think given that the state passed the trash amendments in 2014, thinking that they were giving us 16 years before 2030 to get it all done, um, but it has taken them this long to actually issue the permit with the requirements in it, I think it provides a pretty strong argument that they should work with us uh, when we don't quite make the 2030 deadline. But again, I think it's about demonstrating progress in the meantime and good faith efforts. Yeah, completely agree on all counts. Um, are, are, the, are the Green Street's standards being incorporated into our, our road designs? Maybe it's a larger question for Public Works in general, or is this done on a case-by-case -case basis? And also, are you interfacing with the Transportation Authority on the grants that they provide for road projects? Anyway, you may or may not have an answer to that. Well, we, our neighboring, I'll let Rosemary speak to, to her side of it, but I will say that we have, uh, our neighboring counties have developed some standard specs for these green infrastructure street facilities that make it easier to integrate them into public projects, but, um, but I'll let Rosemary speak to that. Yeah, thank you, Rosemary Gagliani, Public Works Director. Um, yes, the answer is yes. We, as we do certain types of road projects, we do incorporate um, green storm cap water capture into those. If we touch the native soil beneath the roadway, then we need to also include these sorts of devices to do sediment capture. All right, so there are some triggers that would cause you to do that. All right. And then um, last question, and it goes to Eric's point too about, you know, the, these capture devices are obviously another maintenance uh, creating device. And so uh, I wondered if we're contemplating, um, suggesting municipalities increase their s frequency of street sweeping for these devices. And then also if you're tied in through with our fire department and community emergency response teams for an adopt a storm drain approach, uh, just very hands on. I guess that's part of Clean Marin maybe, yeah. Yeah, we, we do have a, an adopt a spot program, although it's not in the catch basin. I don't think we want to encourage the public to start pulling grates and cleaning out the catch basins themselves. Um, so, but uh, it does foster a lot of help with stuff that will end up in that basin if they're, if they're cleaning up on top. Certainly, um, the maintenance costs are very real. Um, I, we're trying to think about the best way to solve or facilitate this problem. Um, one of one one way to look at this is that it's trash capture. It's trash collection. It's just in a different way. So that's something to think about. Uh, the other thing is that I I believe, given the fact that a number of our member agencies don't have some of the equipment necessary to actually maintain these devices that we may be looking at an overall maintenance contract that's managed at the county-wide level to realize some kind of efficiencies and to provide everybody with, with the services that they would need. That might be a bit cheaper. Actually, 
Will heard recently at a, at a workshop that that's actually what people are finding in the larger counties in the Bay Area, that consolidating maintenance contracts is, is something that is realizing some financial efficiencies. So that's something we're looking into. That's great. That makes a lot of sense. It's a little rosemary like the, the bike lane uh, equipment. We need to keep those clean too. So great. Okay. Th those are all the questions I have. Uh, I'm going to go to public comment on this item. I see no one in the chambers. I see one hand up online. The first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Yes. Uh, um, recently, a lot of concern has been raised around the chemical atrazine. Uh, I would like to know if, in fact, that chemical is being uh, monitored separately and if any of those statistics are available to the general public as to what the atrazine content you're discovering in your metrics are. Secondly, is the uh, we're experiencing a fairly aggressive program of uh, atmospheric aerosoling and geoengineering in the Bay Area. And um, what I have found uh, after uh, we have a great deal of it, and then we have precipitation that follows. When I go out, I will see on the bumper of my car, which is exposed to the elements, I will find what appears to me to be something very similar to the coal ash that I used to experience as a child. I, was, I grew up on a street with eight lanes of railroad traffic that went down to the middle of it, and after it snowed, uh, when we had steam engines that burned coal, uh, there was a coal soot that was always formed a film on that snow. And I'm seeing that same film now recently, when I did not find it before, uh, this uh, aerosoling program on the bumper of my car. And so I'd like to know if, in fact, you're also monitoring for um, uh, fly ash in your surveys. I think that's important as we go forward and they continue that program. Thank you. Trustee Moe-Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay. Uh, please, Berenice. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of comments. Um, you heard Rob's presentation, and obviously we have a lot of unfunded mandates and implications on long-term investment and operations and maintenance, but a couple of things I want to bring to your attention as I see it as more of a short-term. Uh, one of them is a green stormwater infrastructure, and we have a unique opportunity because Caltrans is required to build 20 acres of green stormwater infrastructure to mitigate the impacts from their uh, Marin Sonoma Maneros project. And so the county has an opportunity to tap into these Caltrans construction funds, perhaps up to $14, $15 million by a 15% local contribution, maybe $2 million. Uh, the county is, like all jurisdictions, mandated to have green stormwater infrastructure in place by 2030. So we have a unique opportunity to leverage uh, local investment to tap into this um, construction, Caltrans construction money. Typical uh, local match for grants tends to be around 15%, so uh, this 15% investment, it just makes it that much more attractive to see if we can tap into those Caltrans um, money. 
Also on the trash devices, again, the county is like all jurisdictions mandated to have this in place by 2030, and the county has identified that at least six large trash capture devices, device projects would need to be built in our unincorporated um, areas. This is an unfunded mandate uh, of at least maybe $6 million. We again have an opportunity to leverage local money to tap into state and federal contribution, construction money. And so as we enter into budget season, this team is gonna come to you and work hopefully with the county administrator on some investment strategies, investment recommendations. So I just wanted to mention that, that this team is coming back to you with those conversations. And I see that Will Stockard uh, made it um, to the meeting, so I'd like to uh, introduce him as well as part of this team. As you can see, these are daunting and very complex regulations, and I, I'm been overseeing this team for uh, just under two years. I've learned a lot about stormwater regulations, and you truly have an expert team handling these uh, regulations for the county, so thanks a lot for their hard work. and. Also working with Rosemary Galrioni, who is, has been very supportive to this program and has a vision on how to strategize the next coming years and all the new laws. So with that, thank you. Great. Thank you for the report. Thank you to the team. Okay. Uh, I think this was just a presentation. I don't know that we need a motion to receive the report, so I'm going to adjourn us right now. Thank you. And we'll uh, reconvene at 1.30 as the Marin Housing Authority Board of Commissioners. <laughs>